What's up, guys? You're listening to Corrales Radio, and I'm your host, Jeff Godbold, also known from Godbold Exotics. Hey, we've got a great show lined up for you guys tonight, but before we get into it, I wanted to give everybody a quick shout-out from our sponsors because, hey, they're the reason that this is possible. They've put their name, aligned it with my name, and we've really basically combined our reputations together to give you guys something awesome, and that is what the show is. So starting off, we've got Forrest Fanning. Guy's been a personal friend of mine for about a decade. He was the owner of Cold-Blooded Cafe. If you guys are really dissatisfied with your rodent supplier, you wanna try something new, you're tired of the prices going up, I'm telling you, reach out to Forrest. Give him my last name, Godbold. He'll give you 10% off your first order. He's an awesome dude. Service can't be beat, prices can't be beat. I'm telling you, you won't go wrong. Also, we've got a West Coast company out here that's just breaking into rodents. They've been supplying the industry with Dubia roaches for years. That's Doobie Deli. These guys are really, really cool. I had a chance to meet up with them at the SAC show. I really like what they're all about. They're down to earth guys. Their prices are great. Their products are great. If you're looking for insects, they can take care of you there, but they're also producing some really, really quality rodents. So if you're on the West Coast or maybe you're in the Midwest or hell, even the East Coast, give them a shout. Let them know I sent you. They'll get you all squared away. Now, we've lined ourselves with some cool cage makers. Some of you guys may know of the hot box made by sea serpents. Well, Chris has really, really put his faith in me. I'm really excited to be partnered up with sea serpents. Their hot box incubators, in my opinion, are the best out on the market, but they also make really, really nice cages and racks. We've also partnered up with Dragon Hoss MFG, a homegrown West Coaster who makes custom cages. You can give this guy any design you want and he's gonna draw it up for you. He's gonna give you a custom quote and he's gonna give you a really, really nice product to boot. I'm telling you, you won't go wrong. Now, this is kind of a big one and one that I never foresaw myself partnering up with, but the NARBC have partnered up with Corrales Radio. That's right, the best and biggest show in America. So they have three different show locations. You can catch them in California, Texas, or in Illinois. You guys know all about NARBC. If you're wanting to get out with the family, you can make a weekend of it. It's great for picking up new species for your collection. Maybe you just want to network. Hey, NARBC, they're a great, great show. I'm really excited to be partnered up with them. I'm excited that they put their faith in me and that they've also partnered up with Corrales Radio and they see it as a benefit to the community. This last sponsor I'm kind of excited about. This is Andrea Lupardini Design. The guy does tons and tons of logos specifically for reptile keepers and breeders. He does everything from business cars to t-shirt designs, to Facebook banners, to website logos and website banners. He does certificates of birth. He really, really puts together some really nice packages for you guys. So if you wanna brand yourself, you can't go wrong with Andrea Lupardini. His packages that he has are really top notch. They'll get you started. They'll give you that brand, that professional look that you need. And just so you guys know, all of his work is custom. He did my logo. I told him I wanted it to have a Mayan theme and that's what he did. So these are our sponsors, guys. They're what makes the show possible. I know you guys are ready to get to the guest. Let's bring our guest on and get started with the show. Thanks again. Yeah, I think I got it. <laughs> it worked. Yeah, imagine that. So what's going on? <clears throat> Well, I'm glad we got this thing figured out. 
un- uninstalling it. Uh, like. Awesome. So um, I wanted to, uh, before we kind of get into the meat of it, um, everybody kind of knows uh, you from different facets of the hobby, but maybe you could give a little quick introduction of um, like what you're working with. Uh, mostly uh, West Indian boas uh, and a few odds and ends that uh, appeal to me, mostly arboreal uh, boas. I've got some pythons, but they're out on loan. Okay. Uh, uh, I basically started with uh, constrictors and uh, work with them for oh, I don't know, 10 years. And deployments just got to be a bit too much for uh, for the wife. So I, most of that got sold off, uh, regretfully. And uh, I got out of the hobby at that point until I, after I retired, got back into it and just switched direction a little bit, given the, the direction that all this legislation uh, being thrown out there you know, it didn't look good for, for the hobby. Gotcha. So I chose something that was a little smaller. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so, um, so you're doing a lot of, I know a lot of people know you with the West Indian stuff. Um, but for, as far as Corrales goes, you've got a couple uh, Corral species that you work with. Um, two of those we wanted to talk about in this episode, with the first being uh, Ruschenberger eye and the other one being Grenadensis. Um, what is, what kind of drew you to, I guess we'll start with Ruschenberger eyes. So what kind of drew you to those? Uh, probably the first time I saw one at the Norfolk zoo back in the eighties, it had a, a single animal, but it was huge, uh, bigger than Hortulanus, uh, dark, you know, nondescript. But uh, ever since then, I've I've always wanted them. <clears throat> they weren't really commonplace. Uh, the next time I saw them was Black Canyon reptiles. Brought some in from Venezuela, uh, and I picked some of those up. Unfortunately, they had some weird weird disorder, so I sent them back, and uh, I didn't pick up any more until Nerd sold me a pair uh, now lost one of those uh, the male when I was stuck with a lone female so I ended up selling her so you've gotten back into them like uh, back and forth a couple times then it sounds like yeah it's just availability right uh, so with, with the recent uh Ruschenberger that I have uh, been working years on an import out of Trinidad uh, just making contacts and uh, the exporter that I use uh, was doing the same thing Um, and then it looked very good that it was going to happen and then the the powers to be there uh threw a, a wrench in the in the gears. Uh, fortunately, Warren Warren Booth uh, stepped up 
and uh, we were able to get it get it approved. Uh, so when I I brought in ten animals that were unsexed at the time, turns out it uh, was three point seven. Oh wow, that's a lot and, of females. Uh, yeah, I would I would have actually preferred the other ratio, but you know it is what it is. Uh, but as a as a as a reward for Warren <clears throat> and another buddy, uh, I let them buy into the co-op, and it just sort of made the the import affordable on my end, you know. And I got the animals spread out over three states versus everything sitting here. Yeah, now, that, now this is kind of something I wanted to kind of hit on, and you kind of opened it up. Um, there, the different localities of Rochenbergerai. Um, some of which are, are seem to be much more vibrant colored than others. And the ones you brought in, I remember seeing some pictures and video you posted. Those animals were like yellow and uh, really bright colored. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the locales and how that correlates with the color and pattern. Uh, the videos that you're talking about, I think, were of Costa Rican stock and... Uh, four Venezuelan animals that I got my hands on. Okay. And uh, I think I had one Trinidad Ruschenberger eye at the time as well, or maybe maybe grabbed that afterward. Uh, but uh, after an unfortunate event, uh, I ended up losing all of those. And... Uh, Wasn't able to get my hands on anymore until uh, just recently. And oh, the coaster wow. really, they're okay. I mean, they get big, but they're, you know, having seen them in the wild in Panama, it's, uh, uh, it's kind of, it really didn't do anything for me, even though they are, are boreal. Are the Costa Rican ones more... Uh- uh, they can they can be nice looking, um, but as a rule, they aren't. And that's only my personal opinion. You know, it's not. I'm not talking bad, but any, yeah, you know, anybody's collection. They just uh, personally don't do anything for me. If I'm going to use up my cage space, I'd rather, you know, put Trinidad or. Uh, Tobago, uh, Ruschenberger right in there. Or if I can get my hands on some more uh, Venezuelan, I'd do that. Is there a difference in size between any of those locales? Um, the Trinidads get monstrous. Um, I mean, they can, they can take down a, a medium rat on the large size, you know, when they're, when they're old. Uh, I guess I'm guessing my female was in her late twenties when I lost her. Oh and my goodness. That's an old snake. She was probably eight foot easy. Uh, just a monster. Um, I've got one of the imports that I brought in the male. He's, uh, he's a beast. He can take a medium rat, uh, easily, but you know, I'm just easing him into the, into the food regimen. Uh, He's certainly too big to breed to any of the females right now. 
<clears throat> so it'll be another year or so, maybe two, before I the females uh, I can safely pair them up, I guess. So are they? I mean, I'm assuming they're they're are their behaviors like uh, hortolanus, like they spend some time on the ground and then spend some time perched, or are they more arboreal? Um, uh, at, at night, they will uh, they will come down, crawl around on the on the peat moss, and then crawl back up either to feed or during the day. And but that might be an artifact of being in a three by two by two cage as well. Um, the male's in a four by four by two, and he he doesn't go to ground. So, yeah. You said he doesn't go to the ground. No. Yeah, he stays perched, and they they perch kind of like uh, like the other corallus, except emeralds, like the the draping. They like multiple points of contact. Yeah, they they just sort of lay across several limbs. Yeah, they don't do the perfectly symmetrical. Uh, yeah, like the like, the, like like a chondro or a or a caninus, right. Do they have pretty fast, uh, pretty fast metabolisms, or do you feed them kind of on the, on the sparingly side, like spreading meals out? Um, no, I, I, uh, and this again, this is just a personal thing I've always done with uh, with young boas is small and often. So every five days they get a, you know, a, a rat pup or an extra large mouse. They could certainly take a small rat, but that tends to make them fat versus, you know, getting growth out of them. <clears throat> gotcha. So it's just small and often, and they'll they'll crap within four days. They have a pretty good, pretty good metabolism. Okay. Yeah, I've always been kind of fascinated with them. Um, I mean, my favorite species is the Hortolanus, but the the Russian burger, I kind of in a lot of ways, uh, kind of make me think of a scrub python, but with the body type of a of a Hortolanus. Now, I've never really seen any Russian burger eye in person, so I don't know what they are like in comparison in person. But just I've as mean, <laughs> just as mean. <laughs> yeah. So, do yours just kind of like lunge out of the cage at you, or uh, they're okay uh, until you enter their space? And then it's game on. I got nailed by one, <clears throat> and I've—I had some infection I got underneath my uh, forefinger, and I've had to use a steroid antibiotic cream. It's been oh, wow. well over a month. So, but that could have been whatever it had when it came out of the wild. It's—it's it's well on its uh, way to mending. Now they're primarily they'll eat like birds and stuff in the wild, right? Uh, yeah, you can. Looking at these, you could tell that uh, rodents weren't weren't their diet. Slim necks, slim bodies, uh, especially the females. I mean, I could see that in a male uh, coming out of breeding season. They they'd all look, you know, somewhat thin, but uh, they just. Uh, they'll develop differently here since like 
they'll be on a rodent diet, but uh, it's obvious that, uh, you know, how when you feed something a rodent and it has that stretched skin from the, from the jawline all the way down in the neck, yeah. it, right. uh, uh, that's pretty apparent from these uh, after feeding these. Now, you obviously, I, I'm assuming all this stuff is is wild caught. Um, there hasn't been too many captive breedings of these. In fact, I think you're one of the few people that's done it. Correct? Uh, good God, uh, Bobby Pruitt, I want to say, had a tiny litter way back in the '90s. Maybe it was only one. I bought it. And it didn't, it just didn't do well. Uh, there were a couple of litters when they brought them in, uh, but babies didn't do well. And uh, I guess the next time I actually managed to breed them was the stuff that uh, Nick Mutton brought in from the EU. Uh, Gaz Mortimer's uh, lines. I managed to breed them one time, and those uh, both of those siblings are out at Warren's. Warren both uh, on loan. He's doing well with them. Does Jay Wagner still have that baby that you produced? Uh, no, both of those are 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 with Warren. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I remember seeing pictures of that baby, thinking it had like a kind of a pastel look to it. I thought it looked really, really cool. Yeah, they uh, they look nothing like that now. They're dark and pretty much ugly. <laughs> what, as, what? You know, color goes, but, you know, they have huge scales, which... Uh, what locale was that? Uh, well, according to Gaz, they were uh, Venezuelan. Uh, and his lines actually came from the U.S. So, oh, you know, imagine that going to <laughs> the U.K., the EU, and then back here. So, <laughs> so like, what's the what's the process like? I mean, obviously, you're not going to divulge all the information, but like getting them here. I mean, it seems like it's a kind of a kind of a pain. I mean, I understand that there are some red tape that you got to jump through, but like, you know, we don't have that many of them here. And the ones we do have here that seemed like it was really hard getting them here. Uh, well, as I mentioned, it's it's taken me several years to kind of warm the uh, their management uh, folks up through the exporter. Uh you know, he's, he has to develop a relationship with them. Um, they did not want to let them go at the last minute. Uh, again, you know, Warren stepped in. Uh, and uh, it was enough to push the, uh, push the guy over, over the edge, so to speak. And uh, he let 10 go. I asked for 25. Um, oh, 10, wow. <laughs> 10 was all, <clears throat> all he was willing to let go. Now, now we do, you know, in his defense, we do owe 
we do owe him the data from the DNA work that Warren's going to do on them because it's more of a scientific export than anything. I mean, we didn't bring these in to put them into the hobby, so to speak. I imagine they'll they'll end up out there eventually, but the first couple of litters uh, will get divided up between the three of us and uh, we'll just continue the study and Warren will he'll, he'll get all that data and put it together. So is this guy that, that sent them to you, is he a hobbyist that, or is he like run a farm or something like that? Like, did you oh, guys get he, the... He's in the government. Oh, okay. Okay. So, uh, in order, uh, the goal would be eventually to get some off of Tobago and see how related or unrelated uh, they are to the Trinidad Ruschenberger. So, but we're not, I have no intention of asking for any until, you know, Warren can work up uh, the DNA genome stuff, you know, presented in some uh, manner that, you know, even I could understand. And uh, we'll get that to the, uh, the official and uh, let him know that, you know, he did the right thing, basically. Right. And that kind of smooths the way for maybe a, a second shipment then. Well, you know, if I you're, would if you're... personally, I would, I would rather steer toward Tobago versus a second, uh, you know, a second shipment out of Trinidad. So, I mean, I'll take what so, I can get, but I, that would be my, my choice. So what are all these ones that, that pop up in like the, the, the middlemen's, you know, ads that, you know, are those, because aren't these countries closed to export or are they not? Uh, well, again, that's, that's, uh, that's really up to the, you know, the wildlife officials. I, I imagine some of you could get anything yeah. if if the timing uh, was right. You know the relationship that that these guys develop uh, worked out. Uh, you know anything's possible. <clears throat> huh. Okay. So do they? That's interesting. So I I guess it's like. Do you, I mean, are they, why are they harder to breed? Like, why do they, why you were saying the babies didn't do well for some of these. Why, why is that? Do they, are they more temperamental or like, are sensitive to like temperature changes or are they just, is it just weak stock that you're starting with or what do you think? Uh, with the uh, the Trinidads, they were notorious for being uh, liking lizards. Okay. Uh, again, this is from the '90s, and you know people people didn't want to do that. It was the same as walking into a pet shop and seeing a, a litter of uh, Haitian boas on sale for fifteen dollars each. Yeah, and folks would buy them, take them home, and go, "Well, why won't it eat pinks?" Yeah. Same thing. Just apply that same 
rationale to the uh, the uh, Russian burger eye. Gotcha. So, I, see, I didn't know that. I didn't know that they prefer lizards and anoles and stuff like that uh, when they're babies. No, I, mean, I guess that you know that uh, was that was being that was the blame that was being attributed to you know losing all those babies anyway. I mean, I guess it makes sense. Like when they're you know out in the out in the wild, they they're gonna eat whatever they they have accessible to them, and I would say their chances are much higher finding a small reptile to eat than uh, a pink. Oh yeah, yeah especially in you know, double canopy or uh, yeah, old forest. <clears throat> so, so how many do you feel like are in the country now? Between, I mean, obviously you have some. Warren has some. I I've seen a few people that have a pair here and there, but you never hear of anything coming of them. They'll buy them. And that's kind of where it stops. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know of anybody other than Warren and and uh, my other my other friend that have Trinidad Ruschenberger eye. Uh, there are, I think, some Venezuelans here in the country that have been brought in from the EU through imports over the years uh, and the Costa Ricans for sure uh, brought in through Bushmaster. But I think, I think the Costa Ricans are the ones that you see mostly. Right. You know, they're the ones that are kind of that mustardy color that, you know, with the heavy pattern and a lot of them are Brown looks like, uh, you know, olive drab. Yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe some yellow to it. Um, still black tails. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I guess one of the, the telltale signs of the southern, the more southern Ruschenberger eye, uh, not all of them develop black tails. Uh, oh. The Trinidads, the, uh, some of the <clears throat> Venezuelans don't develop. Uh, black tails. They might develop a little black flecking around the edges of the uh, of the scales, but it's I, you couldn't call it a black tail. Hmm. You know, I was just thinking it's kind of interesting that you know when you're talking about the locales between Venezuela and Costa Rica, there are quite a few. You know, there are some countries in between there. Um, you know, you've got Ecuador and you've got Colombia and I'm wondering, you know, are there Rosenberger right there? We just don't have relationships with those countries, so we don't get any out of there. Or is there not any documented um, reports of that species living there? Oh, yeah, there are there are Rosenberger in Colombia uh, in the Delta. Um, OK, there are photos in um uh, some older books. Um, <clears throat> same with um, Longicotta. 
uh, in Ecuador. Yeah. Uh, you know, you generally don't think of them being there, but, you know, borders aren't borders, you know, to boas. Yeah, no, exactly. That's why I was kind of asking. Um, I've got some Peruvian longa caught it. I, I absolutely love them. But I was just thinking that, you know, if we, I, I understand we don't really get anything out of those countries. So it's possible that they, the animals are there. They, you know, but because we don't get anything out of there, we don't ever see them or hear about them. Yeah. You know, the collectors, you know, for the exporters, they come from everywhere. So, you know, there's no telling, you know, where animals came from. <clears throat> right. You know, they could have come from the, the country next door for all the uh, exporter knows or cares. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's you see that a lot with the chondro side that a lot of the locale names that we have for chondros, there's not really a, you know, that's really just like a port, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that's where they're coming out of. But that doesn't. That isn't where they actually were were taken from the wild. I mean, you know, that's where dumpster diving at the importers came from. You know, if you could get in there before anybody else, you know, you could come up with the odd annulatus or, you know, um, that came in as hortulanus. Yeah. So I imagine it still goes on. So what is your your preferred are Rischenberger your preferred species of corallus that you that you work with or um are they just kind of I mean I know you've been interested in them for a long time. Um it's it's hard. I wouldn't say that that I choose them over anything. I mean I like my annulatus. Um I like the granadensis although they you know they're a real pain in the ass. Uh, they will never be mainstream. <clears throat> well, let's. That's the other species I kind of wanted to talk about. So let's. I guess we could dive into those. Um, I brought the. I guess my first couple of babies came in about four years ago. They weren't newborns. Um, they were they were feeding on, you know, anoles when I got them. And over over the course of that year, uh, three years ago, I I brought in some more. Plus, I bought some that somebody else brought in to the country, uh, and I bought his what he had left, and uh, just fed the hell out of them. <clears throat> had to get them off of. Uh, Anoles and, uh, you know, several tricks, but uh, hairless mice, chick fuzz, uh, some like rats. But, uh, you know, you do whatever it takes to get them off the anoles. <clears throat> but once they're off, they grow like weeds. You said you said they're a pain in the ass. Are you talking about adults or babies? Babies. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, so they're... Uh, what did the adult group start like? Because you've produced some. Uh, they they can breed pretty small. Uh, the the one that 
I produced two litters um, last year. Well, 15 months ago now, 16 months ago. And uh, <clears throat> they came from the first year group that I brought in. Um, I produced some this past fall, and they came in from the next year group. And uh, they, you know, a medium mouse on the small side is what they take. Uh, so they breed, they can breed pretty small. But given that the babies are very small, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not surprised. From, from a structure standpoint, are they, they look pretty similar, at least from the pictures I've seen of the Hortolanas. It's just different patterning and stuff like that. Is that kind of what you would say too, or are they very different in other ways? No, their head shape is, their head structure is different uh, as babies. Their eyes are forward set on their head, like any of the other West Indian boas, like strig strigolatus or uh, striatus. Oh. And as the skull develops, you know, the eyes move outward. Uh, but they're forward looking as babies so that they can s sneak up on sleeping anoles. I'm assuming that's what they eat in the wild. <clears throat> uh, now, they're pretty variable too correct like do they have like a garden phase and then colored animals or um i have i have the yellow and orange that at first glance you would mistake for hortulanus except for the pattern and the pattern is in the yellow not the orange um then you have the uh, gray you have an olive drab um, you have some orange, orange red type, um, but the orange red tend to be all one type of baby. The others have a mixture. Oh, so there's less variability than with the orange red. Right. But I don't know what they look like as adults. So how, how long does it take for them to mature? Did you get yours as adults or kind of like, oh, no, no. No, these were, I don't know, maybe 13, 14 inch anole eaters, you know, big around as a, maybe a pencil. Oh, okay. And you just raised them up. Right. Do they, they breed at what, like three or four years? Yeah, well, I've, I've certainly had that luck. And you, you I'm not cycle. Getting old, so yeah, I just cycle them like you would Hortulanus or, uh, you know, Ruschenberger eye, just a, a nighttime drop, and a slight drop in daytime temps, you know, three or four so months. So getting babies isn't hard. It's the getting the babies to eat and take off for you that, that poses some trouble. Yeah. Um, of the two litters that I had in June of 2018, June and July, I've got one on the pinks. The rest wow. are, still, are still, they eat great, but they eat anoles. Huh. And it took about, uh, on average, about three months, a couple of sheds of assist feeding uh, rat pup tails 
to get them to start feeding on their own. So what is, what is this project all about? Because is this another one where you guys are doing DNA testing to? Um, no, I'm, but I, I am providing the sheds to Warren and I think Warren is working with uh, Bob Henderson. Yeah. Uh, so this should go a little way in, into providing some insight for those guys. Uh, <clears throat> what exactly are they looking for with the, what is Warren looking to provide? Like what kind of data is he looking to provide to, to Bob? Uh, I would think that uh, maybe I'm going to guess that a lot of the, the DNA work uh, could be old. So uh, maybe look at uh, some newer stuff through sheds. I, and I know Warren's big into first uh, a lot of firsts as far as uh, genetics goes. And I th he's looking at genome. Right. Uh, so that, you know, Bob could be looking at that. Are, are they like, are they like isolated just on the, the Grenadine Island? Um, no, or there's, there's, I think nine, nine satellite, uh, seven or nine satellite, small satellite uh, islands that, that have uh, Grenadensis. Okay. So may, maybe there's some genetic variation between those isolated groups then. Well, that's, that's for them to figure out. <laughs> you just like keeping them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, uh, I mean, up until now, I don't think anybody knew what a baby weighed, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. And these will these ever hit the private sector, or are these pretty much all going to be kept in the hands of, you know, the academic side mostly? But, uh, I mean, this 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 me providing these sheds to Warren is you know, it's just something that he you know he and he and uh, Bob Henderson are doing. But I I have a, a website with a a German uh, scientist, and we're working on. Uh, a West Indian boa site. <clears throat> and this, whatever data I'm able to glean, we'll, uh, I'll post it on there. Uh, Westindianboas.org. It's, don't go there. All you're going to do is get an under maintenance <clears throat> screen. <laughs> uh, we're about maybe halfway through, but, uh, He's busy. I'm busy. You know how it is. Sure. You yeah. Know, the website takes a back seat. And so let's just say people want to work with this stuff. Just like, you know, I'm sure there's some West Indian guys that work with this stuff. It sounds like you pretty much have to have a thriving colony of anoles or, or house geckos to. I'm, I know that when I have Paul Sonai. And I had to, 
I couldn't really, I didn't want to feed wild stuff. So, um, which I'm sure I did eventually, but like I, like groups of anoles and stuff that would come out of Florida because I couldn't get them from any of the people that sold them like wholesale here in California. Yeah. And I was spending a, a small fortune. And then I was also buying crickets and all this stuff to keep them going and <laughs> having to give them heat. So I just had to have feeders for the feeders. Yeah. And, welcome to my world. <laughs> and I was like, man, this is a pain. And then I, so I took a couple, I wanted to see how they do. I, I was having some that would just would not take, they were just being really stubborn feeders. So I was grabbing these little frogs that are native. I found out in my yard and they would go after the frogs immediately. But yeah. about a, a month or two after that, they started turning up, you know, just dying on me. And I was thinking it was probably cause I was feeding them, you know, frogs that had parasites that they weren't accustomed to. Um, yeah, or, you know, if, you know, your neighbor spray or you spray. That's true. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, so no idea whether these things like geckos, um, you know, I just, I buy anoles by the hundred um, from a pretty reliable source. I send them a text. Normally within 10 days, I've got, you know, a hundred plus anoles here. <clears throat> How long does that last you? Probably about 45 days. <clears throat> Unless I'm feeding, you know, 100 plus babies, uh, then they might last like three weeks. Have you ever had any luck with freezing anoles and trying to free feed frozen thawed anoles to them? No, they tend to desiccate. Um, oh. You know, once even if you thaw them out in the water, they're as stiff as a board. Oh. You know? So they just they don't freeze well. I imagine they'd be okay if you could get to them right, you know, get around to them quickly. But uh, I found that you leave them in there a month or so, might as well throw them away. Yeah. <laughs> Now, are you, do you, so you don't have your own colony, though. You don't even deal with that. You just buy them. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, basically the Sanzinia that I breed pay for the, the rodents and the anoles, uh, and hopefully, you know, it keeps it kind of a cost- a neutral cost for the hobby, but we all know that's not true. You know, it's still a money pit, <clears throat> as any hobbyist will tell you. So, right. Well, I've always been intrigued by the grenadensis too. I mean, those are those on the Russian bogarite are two species that I've always been very, very intrigued by. But I've you know, I don't have the contacts that a lot of people have, so I've never, you know, wanted to, I've never gone through the, the proper steps. That being said, I am planning on moving back to Florida here in a couple of years, and I've done some research because I do keep Boiga, and for Boiga, I have to have a, a venomous permit um, 
to keep them in in Florida, even yeah. though it's you know the delivery system's really poor and there's not any they don't deem them medically significant. So anyway, I did some research and got in touch with a fish and game guy, and he said, you know, you've been keeping them for that long out there. You should have the required hours in order to keep them. So, you know, I'm, he said, but you will have to have an import export permit to be able to keep them because you're bringing them across state lines. And so then I started looking at, well, if I've got the permit, you know, what, what would it be like to start, you know, bringing in some stuff? Cause I'm, I see stuff all the time that I would like to get my hands on, but I don't, I miss out on it, you know, because I don't, you know, I'm not in the know, but I thought about trying to do that and, and, you know, maybe, you know, I would love to get my hands on some nice Russian burger at some point. Gosh, I've always liked them. I'm, I'm sure that, uh, eventually, um, they'll make their way to, to the, the more serious, serious hobby, hobbyists. Um, it's just that, you know, the demand will be high, the supply will be low, and then you have to pick your, you have yeah, to wisely who gets them. Right. You don't want to put them in the hands of somebody that's going to kill them. Well, either that or a morphon whose who's bright idea is to, breed a leopard to it or, a, or oh. one of those striped monstrosities just to come up with the next greatest thing. <clears throat> so. Yeah. Yeah. They, or, or, you know, hybridize it and all that stuff that, you know. Yeah, so. We all know how I feel about that. So. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. I know you're not a, you're not a fan. No. So what is your what does your group look like currently with with the Grenadensis? Uh maybe 12, 12, 12 with- plus the maybe 20, 20 some odd babies between the four litters. Uh, and I've there are two 15 month old and one from each newborn litter out to uh, one guy who's um, had pretty good luck. Uh, keeping them alive so are you keeping them just like a just like an amazon tree boa like when it comes to cage size and you know temps and all that stuff uh yeah pretty much uh the babies i keep in uh racks and tubs uh on peat moss and so much greenery in there that i have to you know actually look for them (laughs) um but um they feed that way uh, they can still find the water bowl. Uh, I found that when I set them up in larger tubs, they tend to, to dry out. They have a problem drinking water. And it doesn't hold humidity as well. And I am not a big fan of spraying <clears throat> spraying paper down and keeping the tub wet. Uh, it's not like I rip these out of the wild, you know, in the middle of rainy season. Uh, it will pretty much adjust within reason adjust to how you keep them uh, <clears throat> in the wintertime. Yeah. I have to spray a little bit, but in the summertime, none whatsoever. Yeah. You're in Tennessee up here in California. You, 
you have to actually put in some work and and keeping humidity up. But yeah. I, I've also found that you know hydration's a key key part of that too. You know, you can have an animal that's in a humid cage, but if it's dehydrated and not getting, you're still going to have problems with sheds and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 not immune to that. I mean, I still, you know, one of the there's always that one or two animal group that just it doesn't matter what you do, they're going to shed like crap. Uh, I I have a female horchulanus that is that way, um, and I have a couple of the uh, uh, Sanzinia that are that way. It doesn't matter. I can pour water in there. And they still shed like crap. You know, it's just the way it is. <clears throat> but the uh, I keep I keep the adult Granadensis two to a cage, same sex. Um, the last thing I want is six litters of, you know, pulling my hair out. Uh, so I'll probably put two more together this year, and if I get one litter, that'd be enough for me. I mean, I'm still working with four other litters, so <clears throat> they'll become available at some point. And if if I don't sell them, then I pro I may just find folks that want to take them on long term loan, you know, um, sort of that that type of arrangement. Hmm. Yeah, they're they are. Uh... I remember seeing the pictures you posted of the babies and I thought they were just very, very bizarre looking from a pattern standpoint. Really, really cool. Now, Rob, Bob Henderson, that's kind of like his, his specialty. He and Marie Rush have done quite a bit with, uh, with that species. Haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. He's got, he's got some great books out there for all two people that are listening to this podcast. <laughs> Come on now. I got more. <laughs> I'm uh, just kidding, you know. I've, but he's Henderson's got some good books out there that uh, um, if you don't have them, you really should. If you're into tree boas, you know. I've I've got probably well. First of all, let me correct you. There's probably ten people listening to this podcast, but <laughs> I do have that recent book that he put out. Um, and from an academic standpoint, the what is it? The Neotropical Tree Bow, or the one that's got the big cordelanus kind of striking with the mouth open that big right. garden there is a ton of locale you know field data in that book i mean i was amazed i was i i bought it right before i went on vacation uh to florida and we basically just sat on a beach for you know it was kind of like what we did most of the time we were there and i had that book open and i was just like i was amazed by all the field data that he had Oh, he's been doing it long enough. You know? I mean, yeah, he should. He should have the data, but it's a it's a cool book. I mean, I know there's a lot of people in the hobby that that doesn't really jive with them, and that's fine to each their own. But like, I think that if you're keeping these animals, it kind of it benefits you. You kind of owe it to yourself and the animal to kind of know what they're what they're coming from. You know, like what the wild types like, what the environment's like. Yeah, I mean, if if. If folks aren't into the the all that data that he he provides in that second book, then by all means they should go out and buy the first book. 
Yeah. It's more of a primer. Yeah, I have that one too. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean it's 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 really there's a lot there's some stuff out there that you know, you, there's a lot of lot to learn from those books and from the the experiences that he shares and the observations and stuff like that. Um, do you foresee any like do you think they're going to re work the Corallus genus and um, maybe divide some stuff up, make some, you know, I've always felt like the emeralds were kind of very, very different than the other Corallus. Like I, I see so many similarities with the Rischenbergeri, the Grenadensis, the, the, the Hortolanus and the Annulatus and uh, Cook's eye and everything. But, then you've got the the emeralds that just kind of are their their own niche, you know. And I've heard people talk about dividing them up and kind of separating them from Corallus, but uh, I'll leave that up to the people smarter than me. Um, I mean, we all, you know, as a hobbyist, we all felt that. Uh, Strigolatus was its own species versus, you know, the Berry Island and the Bimini Island boas. Uh, but it took it took uh, Reynolds to do the the legwork and the DNA work to go. Yeah, it's a different species, and you know, bless it. Uh, and then the other two fell underneath it as subspecies. So <clears throat> I'm sure there will be some changes. Uh, Will it be what everybody wants? Probably not. So, yeah, pe- people are always hesitant for change. You know, you kind of get get in that niche. You get you get accustomed to everything, and then when someone wants to rock the boat, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Hey, hold on a second. Yeah, yeah. it's like you know the four chondro. <clears throat> uh, I just recently got around to reading that paper, and uh, wow. Just well done. On the, oh, on the chondros? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, all those chondros from, you know, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, it's, well, which one do you have now, bud? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, they're, they're all, they're all mixed up. I've, I, I don't own anything that, I have a few chondros, but they're all farm hatch stuff that's a locale type i don't have anything that's that's from the designer lines yeah some of that stuff's pretty amazing looking yeah yeah i will do that yeah it's you know but again you a lot of people don't care about what they have they just like the way it looks so to those folks you know it's uh you know they're not they're not as concerned with a lot of the wild data that that's out there and they're not concerned with you know lineage keeping it you know pure and stuff like a lot of the other guys like you know like i i love the locale stuff so not just chondros but with like anything i like knowing where it came from you know i like yeah, it helps yeah it helps understand the animal uh boa constrictor suffers 
uh, and greatly from questionable, you know, provenance. Right. Um, and I'm glad I didn't get back into it. Yeah. Just how do you know what you're getting now? <clears throat> yeah, I, 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 of, of, um, BCLs that are from one's from Eugene Bassett and the other one's from uh, from then Russo and I you know there's I've been able to track it back to where they came from so I know that they're Peruvian but it's a lot of that stuff you have no idea what you're getting yeah I mean uh you know, the original stuff that came in through, uh, well, it didn't come through them, but they, they were some of the first ones that have success in breeding them, like Edelbrock, uh, Marcia Lincoln. <clears throat> and of course, right. you know, Vin. You know, yeah. Can't forget him. But, uh, yeah, some of that stuff, you know, that's being produced now doesn't, doesn't look like, you know, any of the wild caught stuff that came in. Yeah, it's kind of One crazy. One reason or another, you know, whatever the, whatever those right. reasons are. So. Yeah. So what, in your collection, what has you the most excited right now? Like, what are you, like, you know, you obviously you've got your bread and butter stuff, but like, what is it that really, really just kind of makes it all worth it? Uh, some stuff I can't talk about right now. (laughs) Can we get a hint? No. (laughs) There there are people out there that that are aware of it, but, ah, man, there's probably seven people that have ever been in the collection that, you know, that's not counting neighbors who go, ooh, look at the snake, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... About seven people that could look at something and go, is that, you know, what I think it is? Do you, are you still working with Timor's pythons and Boland's pythons or you, you sent those um, out? Uh, well, my mail's up there with Keith. He outed, he outed himself on, on his podcast. So um, I know he won't, it's not like I'm busting him out. My mail's up there with him. Good luck. Good luck to him. Uh, my team wars are out with two two people. Uh, one guy has 1.2, and, and another guy has a pair. Uh, I probably have 60, 70 boas out on, you know, permanent or long-term loan. <clears throat> I have some Sanzinia green and uh, western males out on loan. Uh a lot of other stuff, but a lot of that's West Indian related. Yeah. This you, one, have a, you have a pretty sizable collection now. It's, I mean, how many, how much time a week are you out there cleaning? Uh, it's every day. I mean, this is what I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I feed every night. I feed in the afternoon, put the headlamp on about nine 30 at night, come back down. Feed the tree meanies, and uh, does it need feeding? 
and uh, you know, clean every day. It's just it's part of it. I retired when I was in my early fifties, and you know, I'm doing what I want to do. Right. Yeah. It's not everybody so, get a cup of coffee and go down and yeah. You know, how many people actually enjoy what they do? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I my collection right now is kind of right where I want it. It's not very big. You know, I have mostly Amazon tree boas, but, you know, I've got a few species of pythons. I've got some odd nins. Um, no, no morphs, uh, at least not any that I know of. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, if it was any bigger than that, I don't think I'd be able to do it. You know, I went out and started working for myself this year and, and I stay pretty busy. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I, it, it's been nice, but it also means that, you know, there's sometimes gotta I gotta hustle. hustle. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Gotta hustle. And so I can't, you know, I can't be, I can't have a collection that's just huge, you know, or I wouldn't, it wouldn't get the attention it deserves. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've scaled down significantly. Um, that's why a lot of stuff is out on online and it allows me to work with new stuff. Um, basically anytime I get something or plan to get something in, I need to move something out. Um, I'll always have space here because I mean, you just, I mean, if you seriously collect, you need to have empty cages, extra heat panels, extra controllers, uh, so that for that unanticipated uh, loan or buy that you know you've got, you're not scrambling to get get the animal animals set up. Right. So are there any projects on the horizon that you could talk about that you're kind of wanting to get into or that you are working on getting into? There are some projects, um, but I haven't even approached the people that have them. So, Oh, gotcha. It's one of those, uh, you know, if you, if you take no for an answer, you'll never get anything in life, you know? So, <laughs> uh, there are a couple of species that I, that fit into what I'm doing and, uh, I'd like, I'd like to work with, but, you know, I'll get around to it. Yeah. Do you work with anything that isn't a snake? Like, do you work with monitors at all or? No, I'm Tennessee is not the right place for that. I mean, I love, I mean, I just, I love amphibians, but you know, I don't have the environment uh, for them. Uh, I love tortoises, but I'd need to move to Florida to do that. Or California or Arizona, one of the, you know, someplace, but. Uh, so I, I I work with what I can keep alive within the you know the parameters of what what I have here. Yeah. Well, that's getting something in 
and watching it slowly, you know, slowly die. Yeah, I know. No, I I get it. There's stuff I'd like to keep, but I, you just can't keep it here. Yeah, not, not with any, you know. And, and I'm kind of lucky. Like my my snake shed is kind of small, so it's pretty easy for me to regulate temps and mostly. Well, really, everything I keep is a tropical species. Whatever it is, it's, it's tropical. So I don't have any any stuff that, you know, I used to keep Wilma pythons and I had some carpets and stuff like that. And really everything I keep that, that needed dry climate, I got rid of. I mean, I do have some Irangaya carpets, but they still, you know, from Papua New Guinea, they still live in in fairly humid conditions. So other than that, you know, I'm sticking with the dry stuff. I mean, the the tropical stuff. I've kind of moved away from, I still use Aspen, shredded Aspen, uh, but only for, for certain species. And I've, I've, I've gravitated toward the, uh, the huge bags of peat moss that you can buy at uh, Home Depot or, uh, lows and it it holds humidity really well it takes a long time to dry out <clears throat> isn't that like isn't that like dirt kind of yeah yeah it's super fine dirt got to wear a face mask to you know otherwise you're be blowing brown for a week <clears throat> but uh it it's great stuff and you don't have any issues with that getting in their heat pits or anything like that no, no. Huh. Only I have to uh, drag one out and rinse its mouth out because it, you know, dragged the mouse through the through the dirt. Yeah. So it's got a mouth full of peat moss, but you know, that's rare. Yeah, I use cocoa, like cocoa bark, cocoa chips. That yeah, whatever works, you know. I just yeah, it's it's like cat litter in a snake cage it just clumps up dries and it's like a pancake that you lift out and throw away it's great <laughs> yeah that's that i've thought of using it before i i use aspen for my for my ijs but that's it yeah these paper for the really big stuff you know but uh it's a mixture of aspen and uh peat moss what are you using for your um your russian burger eye and your grenadensis uh peat moss peat uh, moss yeah they're in uh three by two by twos with uh five or six you know horizontal branches with the uh hobby lobby greenery you know the vines yep yep uh, i have some of those in mine zip tied to the branches and gives them a place to hide. Yeah. And you are, I'm assuming using, now you, do you still do this? Do you mount your heat panels on the side of the cages still? No, only, only for those cages, like those dumbass designs by vision where. Oh yeah. Won't mount in the ceiling. So. You're forced to do unorthodox, you know, mountings. Yeah. 
And so you're, so do are you still using elevated or do you use elevated water bowls? Yeah, it's great. I've started yeah. using those too in my in my cages, and I love them. I I can't take credit for that. Steve Volk shared that with me years ago, and it was like, man, there's no turning back once you've once you've done that. Yeah. You don't have to lift it out to clean, pull paper out. It's you know, like pull the water bowl out and go, well, where the hell do I where do I put this thing? <clears throat> yeah, I so there's a guy over on the East Coast, uh, David Brams, that makes. Um, for the disposable water bowl, you know, the deli cups, he makes yeah. holders for them. So I've bought those holders in all my cages and I use disposable water bowls now in everything. And it's like a dream. Like I just, you know, switch it out. I've got a bucket of water there. I just put a new one in. It takes two seconds. There is no cleaning, scrubbing water bowls. I, I hate doing that. So I just use disposable stuff on everything now. I haven't, I haven't gone that route yet. I, that's not to say I won't, but with you know, I use those bird, whatever they are. Yeah, right. And uh, you know, they go through. The, I use bleach and uh, vinegar, and uh, you know that blue stuff to sterilize them. And they go through the dishwasher periodically. It, uh, it seems to work. Yep. I don't have a dishwasher for my for my. I wasn't going to use the kitchen one. How many so. kids you got? How many kids you got? How many kids? Yeah, three. You got three dishwashers, man. <laughs> well, one's at college, so that well, I got I got that. two. Oh, good for you! Got one in, huh? Yeah. So, uh, but you know. <clears throat> I like the system that I'm using right now. It's something I've, I've started experimenting with this year and seems to have really, really cut down on the maintenance for me anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point of me going to the, uh, paint moss is just put on a glove, take a, take a, uh, one of those inserts from a paper, walk around to each cage you just pull out the flat pancakes, you know. Yeah. And every once in a while, I'll go back through and replenish with some with uh, some peat moss, versus yeah. pulling all the paper out. And uh, it's worked. Well, I've got you know ninety maybe plus tree arboreal boas. So, but that's counting babies as well. So that's a lot of work. Uh, if I were to have to do that with paper, this is kind of off topic, but I'm just kind of curious because of the way it's been out here. Are you having kind of a weird or an off um, winter or fall? Like we we're supposed to get rain now. We haven't. There's like no rain in sight. So like I haven't paired anything up. Stuff's been cycling, but I was going to wait till December to put stuff together wait uh, for me well see uh, to me december is not late i mean that that would be end of december january um you know it's like what's the hurry i mean it, it's not like they only have a 45 day you know uh breeding cycle in the wild you know i take two two and a half months to cool down 
throw them together a couple of weeks and then, you know, raise the temps back up. And, you know, that's a, that's a four and a half, five month period. Yeah. But last year was just, I don't Maybe it was me, but I, I had terrible luck trying to keep things cold <clears throat> uh, long enough to get the males fertile or keep them fertile anyway. Uh, I had three litters of the uh, Madagascan tree boas and terrible litter sizes, you know. Lots of goo, slugs, stillborn. But uh, really, yeah, it was just real sad. <clears throat> yeah, it's kind of crazy for me. So, like last year, I had I bred in November. It was a terrible. It was the both the parents were virgins, so it was our first breeding, and I had two babies and like seven slugs. Um, and those babies were born in the spring of this year. And I just had a litter of uh, 12 babies drop in August, beginning of August. Oh, no, sorry, beginning of September. So it's for me, it's kind of like it seems like with my animals that some just cycle at different times and some some don't. So I, I don't, I don't know what it is. I, I'm just trying to, you know, I'm learning, trying to figure things out. And, um, but this year I'm going to try and introduce everything at the same time. And I'm going to probably do it in December. Hopefully we'll have rain by then. And it seems yeah, like wear out some, uh, wear out some water bottles. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, I went and bought, I've got a, one of those big garden sprayers it's like a gallon and a half or a couple gallons that you put in it and you just it's you pump it and it's got the long nozzle and hose and you just walk around spraying everything i do that um but i have my males i move them into cb70 tubs with uh bottom heat so they're experiencing much more of a of a drop in temps than my females are. So we'll see how that, how that works, but um, not really out of, at first it was just kind of like, that's what I had because I had bought all these banks of cages and the lead time on them was pretty heavy. So I had nowhere to put anything, but now that I've been doing it, I've kind of walking around Timken and stuff. I'm like, you know, they're probably, getting a pretty good drop in temps in these in the, and they and all my male Amazons are small. So that's not like they're cramped in there. Well, so I mean, up. if, if, if I'm having a, a difficult time, uh, if there's say a two week period where it just warms up outside and there's, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. Um, <clears throat> I keep frozen water bottles in the, in the freezer out there. Oh, yeah. I, every night I go through and put a frozen water bottle either on the cage if it's on top or in the cage if it's, you know, first or second from the bottom. <clears throat> I've never thought of doing that before. 
That's go through and collect them all in the morning, put them back in the freezer. And I use, you know, you do that as, as long as you need to. Uh, and it's, it's worked. That's kind of a cool idea. I've never thought of doing that before. Obviously, you don't have the animals sitting there perching on it. <laughs> no, no. It just kind of super cools in for a couple of hours, and then uh, it's room temperature in the morning. So toss it back in the freezer. Are you are you keeping all your stuff in, like, uh, like homemade cages? Or it sounds like you have some visions and stuff. You just kind of have a hodgepodge of everything. Um, I have uh, the white... Do you remember the old white first generation visions? Yes. I have a bunch of those. Then I have the second ones with that huge wasted space down the center. Yes, I hate it. Yeah. Um, and then I have I have some of Jeff Ronnie's original white boa files. Uh, they might be cracked in the corners, but they're still still going strong. Um, and then I have the PVC cages.com. Okay. Uh, three by two by twos. And I like those. I just, I'm not crazy about the assembly part, but you know, I normally buy three or four at a time. And they're good for most of the arboreal stuff. They won't, yeah. they won't suffice for, uh, the adult Ruschenbergeri, but for the size they're at right now, they'll be fine. Do you, um, do you keep, do you use bars cages or Neodesha? I do have some bars. Um, and I use those for, uh, grow outs for some of the Corrales. Uh, they're up top of, on top of the uh, PVCs. Or if I need, if I need to pull a male out, uh, during breeding season, and I'll toss one up in there uh, and let him sit out the winter. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I I've gone to I all my stuff's PVC, not PVC.com, but I've got kind of a mix of PVC cages from different manufacturers, all black yeah. in there. But um, I like them. They seem to hold temps a lot better than anything else. So that's that was one of my big gripe with the uh, – there's like one or two sizes of vision cages that I actually liked. Like I liked that 28 by 24 by 24 they make. But um, I don't like that they have the heat shroud in there. It's like I want to take that – I want it made without that. And the keeping temps, unless you're in a really insulated room, it's those vision cages suck. I could never get yeah. temps to, to stabilize in there. I've never, I was never a big, big fan of the shroud. Uh, it's just, it just stole so much space out, right. out of the cage. So, I, I mean, we've kind of like hit on most of what I wanted to talk about, um, you know, the, the Ruschenberger eye and the Grenadensis, do you have any advice for people that may want to work with either of those species? Uh, you know, if you get Ruschenberger eye, they're, 
they're going to get big. And a four by four by two, you know, and I'm not plugging animal plastics, but that's what I have the large, one large male in. And that's probably the minimum size that I would, I would recommend for adult Rusenberger eye. As far as Grenadensis go, uh, you could set them up like you do Hortulanus and they would be fine. So people that want to get, I mean, is there, well, obviously with the Grenadensis, they're going to have to, you're going to have to wait because they're probably not going to be available that much. The Wurschenberger eye, you just don't be picky. You just buy whatever comes available because chances of getting any of your stuff is probably slim to none right now. Yeah, there's uh, there, there are a couple of uh, breeders of the Costa Rican stock that um, have done well. Um, uh, I, could, I could get the name wrong, but I think Eli up north um, has had good luck and has offered babies. Uh, Bushmaster brings them in every once in a while from uh, Quetzal. Uh, Warren, Warren, if he's, uh, he says his are old enough to breed. So, you know, hopefully he'll have a litter of those. And there are a couple of other, well, uh, didn't Keith just have a litter? Oh, Keith McPeak did. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I don't know if he kept any back, but. Uh, I think he sent some down to Ian Bessel. If I'm not mistaken, down yeah. in Florida. So people are having, you know, regular luck with them now that the, you know, the babies are grown. So I would yeah. expect, you know, more to be available. Just keep in mind they get big. You know? Yeah. And I don't mean in six years, but in, in 10, 15 years, you're going to have a big, big tree boa. So kind of plan for a scrub python. <laughs> Just a little bit longer time to get there. Yeah. And when you see a, a large recent burger, it's an old animal. Yeah. I've got an Amazon that's massive. It's the biggest one I've ever seen. And she's got to be old, but she's the one that just gave me 12 babies. So yeah, there you go. Congrats. Fat import. So. All right. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, Jeff. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's always fun to talk. It's been a while. About... Yeah, it has, and it's it's always fun to talk about some of these more niche species that have kind of a a, a more narrow following. But you know, I feel like they they deserve some some limelight a little bit. Uh, yeah. I uh, for those that care, I struck out with the uh, Chrysogaster two litters of slugs. So something I did wrong. I'll have to figure that out. I think I've got a plan, but uh, I'll have to wait a year to put it in place. Um, had a bunch of uh, Ford eye. If you're interested in Ford eye in about a year. Okay. So, really cool boas. <clears throat> All those guys are gecko eaters, right? Uh, as babies. Yeah. But I, I don't sell anything unless it's on pinks. So oh. that's why I say a year, you know. 
I love the little Ford's boas and the little Chirogaster. Cairo, cry, what are they? Cryogaster? Is that how you say it? Chryso. Chrysogaster. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys are cool. Didn't you get, uh, what's the super small arboreal version of those West Indian boas? What's the name of that? Starts with a G, I think. Maybe the, it's not uh, a Yes. No, I've, I've, Jay has a, a lone male, I want to say. And if there are any in the country, I'm aware of them other than that. Oh, okay. But who knows? You know how people are in their pets. It could be. Yeah. Could be a couple sitting somewhere. Now, are, are you working with any of the, uh, oh gosh, what are the Anglophiophis? Ungl- I'm trying to, uh, I'm butchering oh. the name. On Galliophis, no, um, but they're they're starting to show up. Uh, I yeah. won't say quite frequently, but uh, man, I, uh, quite a quite more. I've seen quite a few this year and last year, whereas before you never saw them offered at all. So, you know, good for those folks. Hopefully, uh, they'll get them figured out and uh, reproducing. Yeah, I know. I know DTS. Uh, Dan had some for sale on King Snake, some little bromeliad boas. For they were pretty expensive, but you know. Yeah, that's a. Uh, I guess until people can get them, keep them alive, and and uh, <laughs> bump up the numbers, they're going to be uh, a little expensive to buy. Right. Right. That seems to be the case with most stuff. So, well, Jeff, I really appreciate you coming on. And uh, I, you know, hopefully we can, uh, you know, talk a little bit more often. I've, you know, I know you've got some really cool stuff going on. I'm very interested in your Senzinia. So I hope you have a lot of success with that. I appreciate it. Well, hopefully uh, everybody else will too. Yeah. Yeah. There's some definitely, we definitely need more of those, especially the greens. Well, there are enough enough pairs out there now that uh, it's good luck to everybody working with them. <clears throat> for sure, for sure. All right. Well, you have a good one. If anybody wants to get a hold of you, do you have any uh, preferred contact method? Uh, you just message me on uh, Facebook. I don't. I don't have it on anything but the PC. So sometimes it takes me a while to to reply to those but uh it's the easiest way okay awesome well you have a good one enjoy the rest of your weekend hey, man. and uh talk to you later all right man take care all right, bye bye all right guys that's going to do it for tonight's episode as always i appreciate all the feedback i get keep it coming You guys are the reason that I do the show. And until next time, you've been listening to Corrales Radio.